Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on episode 31, The Black Obelisk of Assyria. Previously on The Fan of History, we received no news from the Assyrian Empire for seven years. Well, Dan, that seems like a bizarre occurrence, but I guess some things are truly lost to history. We'll go deep into what happened these seven years, trying to reconstruct it. But first, I have to tell you a story. I like stories, Dan. Okay, we are back in 1846 AD, very recent mm-hmm. in our <laughs> measurements. <laughs> right. There were archaeological digs going on at Nimrud. Uh, that is the same place as the ancient city of Kaladan, the capital of Shalmaneser III. Mm-hmm. And this was the time when the Assyrian Empire was emerging from the mists of history because people knew about the Assyrian Empire mainly from the Old Testament, as the, the Romans and Greek stories about uh, the Assyrian Empire are just uh, fairy tales, as we will note in, a, in an upcoming episode. Uh, And one of the first things they found that was really sensational in Nimrud was a three-meter black pillar of stone, that's ten feet, uh, that immediately became known as the Black Obelisk of Assyria. Is this the same kind of obelisk like in 2001, a space odyssey? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's a bit similar, actually. Uh, And the leading archaeologist was a guy called Layard. Mm -hmm. He was digging in the ruins of the great palace of Ashurnasipal II, the place that uh, he built during the greatest party of all time, Mm -hmm. our episode 16. And Layard decides to randomly dig a trench outside the palace at the middle of the Tell, the ruin hill of Tala, just to see if there was another building like the palace. Right. So they, they dug this random trench, and they dug 70 feet down, and they found this obelisk laying on its side. And it was probably toppled by the ravaging Medes in 612 BC. And boy, do I want to talk about that. <laughs> and then it was covered by rubble during the destruction of the city. And they found other interesting things nearby, and it seems that this place where the obelisk was found was a central plaza the very main city square of Kala. Maybe you could call it the Forum of Kala. Mm. And uh, at this time, they they couldn't read cuneiform. The riddle of cuneiform was not solved yet. Oh, okay. And they saw this obelisk, and the obelisk has four sides with with, uh, five squares a side. 
So there are 20 squares of images. It's a bit like a cartoon. <laughs> like... There are five on each side then, and they they seem to depict important political events. That's crazy. And it was fairly... Ob- uh, sorry? I was going to say that uh, that's crazy. Using... It's, it's, it's essentially exactly what it was. Like one of those things in the middle of the town square where you post bills. Yeah. Huh. Pretty much. Not unlike the great monuments of Traian uh, in um, Rome. So, and it was obvious that these were the triumphs of a powerful Assyrian king, because you'd see foreign kings on their knees in front of this powerful monarch, <laughs> but they didn't know who he was. But we know today that it was Shalmaneser III, and we know that each of the vertical levels of the obelisk tells a story in four pictures. So there are five stories with four pictures of e- in each. And in this episode, we'll try to reconstruct what happened in Assyria in 827 to 820 BC, after the sources went silent. And we'll show that this obelisk was a monument to the supreme power of Shalmaneser III, king of the universe. And it was also a big propaganda piece oh, I'm sure. uh, to try to rescue Assyria. So what's, um, so I guess when we recreate from this one basically news piece, if you want to call it that, it's, uh, this it's, is it's what... Not the, it's not even that, really, but it's, uh, it's, it's more of a propaganda thing. Okay, so this is what they're using as their rallying cry. Yeah. Oh, I gotcha. So remember how great our king is, even if he's old and uh, senile now. <laughs> right. This is the things he had done. So in A27, then, we have our last records before this time. And we know that in A27, Shalmaneser III is the king. The Assyrian Empire is the strongest state in the Near East, mm-hmm. by far. Shalmaneser III has been the king since 859 BC, so he's 32 years into his reign when this happens. Uh, he had fought alliances of kingdoms, but he had defeated them all. Uh, and we know that there is a field marshal, Diane Usher. He controlled the army in the name of Shalmaneser III because Shalmaneser had grown old. There were also two princes, Asurdaninpal and Shamshi Raman, who wanted power and their father's approval. How many things have been done? like this just seeking father's approval <laughs> a lot of things it, it gets worse than when you have like 200 sons oh god <laughs> we don't know how many sons shall manage the third house but it was more than 10 at least wow okay because <laughs> they had uh, harems and uh, many wives also remember that there has been the original goal of the neo-syrian empire was to get recreate the middle assyrian empire that had been lost. But that, that, has, that is long past. The, the Neo-Assyrian Empire is now bigger than the Middle Assyrian Empire. And we have had super powerful kings on the throne for 50 years, since 883 BC. Before Shalmaneser III, there was Ashurnasipal II. And uh, there are powerful noble families. They have been around for more than a thousand years. But they, and they have influence in the provinces and the Kalan. They constantly fight the <coughs> power of the king so it's the, the classical question the king if the king is powerful the nobles are not powerful right and of course these two kings have suppressed the power of the nobles uh, so let, let's talk about uh, Diane Usher then we did that earlier but I want to uh, recap this sure 
Dain Asher, Asuddaninpal, and Shamshinaman. Those are the three power players in Assyria. Dain Asher is the field marshal. He has been field marshal for some time then, so Shalmaneser III felt comfortable giving him uh, command of the army. Uh, there are some theories that he actually do uh, dominated Shalmaneser III for a long time, but I think he was a friend and a trusted underling of the great king. Because that's what I, I, was, I was about to ask you. Would you say he's more like that Jafar in Aladdin, or more like a, you know, like an, a co-pilot kind of thing? He is a field marshal, so he's out fighting. I, I don't see Jafar okay. <laughs> on the battlefield. <laughs> no. And they're all they're all Assyrians. These three people, they are all warriors. Uh, the elder son of Shalmaneser III, possibly the eldest son, is then Asurdaninpal, and he reminds me of Ashurnasirpal II. He, he seems to be just a violent warrior general. <laughs> he's not the designated heir, and he hates that Dian Ashur has this influence over his father. So he's the, the violent uh, guy that thinks he should be the crown prince. Right. And, and then we have the actual crown prince, Shamshi Rahman. He is a younger son, and he's probably chosen because his elder brother is uh, violent and <laughs> a bit crazy, <laughs> while Shamshi Rahman is wiser and uh, thinks things through. But the Assyrian people and the nobles, they want, they want this violent, aggressive general king. So they, they really do not approve of Shalmaneser's choice of heir. That's... Huh. I guess all they really see are the spoils of the war. Because if you live in the city, all you probably see is people going out and then coming back with monkeys and gold ingots. But they never see you know, the other side of it, where you actually have to be nice sometimes. That's exactly. I think that's it. I, I think there are tax privileges in uh, the great cities of Assyria as well. Uh-huh. So you, you just see the benefits of empire and not the problems. Right. So uh, this is the age-old problem, right? How do you transfer power in a monarchy, especially when you have a very successful and great king? And now somebody has to take over. We, we talked about that when Shalmaneser III became king. How do you, how do you continue after someone as Ashurnasipal II? But he did a pretty good job. Right. So now... Uh, I'm going to try to recreate what happened during these seven years, and I may be taking some liberties here, <laughs> but no one really knows, because the, the records of these years have been uh, eradicated. Uh, they don't want us to know what happened during these years. <laughs> That's pretty funny. That long ago, and if they truly did not want people to know, like, you know, if there was just some big shame or whatnot, that it actually worked. <laughs> yes, it definitely worked. Uh, though the Egyptians spectacularly failed to conceal their history a few times when they tried to delete certain pharaohs from history and we uh -huh. found them anyway. Right. Uh, also, uh, I, I read more very recently about the relationship between the king and the nobles in Assyria. And I think the kings are giving us a picture of their supreme might that might not be correct. I think the nobles are more influential than... Um, that the sources give them credit for. We'll, we'll talk more about that when we get to the interval, which will happen pretty soon in Assyria. But 
what happens here is that Asur Danimpal, the violent prince who is not the crown prince, he rebels. He's tired of Diane Asher's power as field marshal. He's tired that he is not the crown prince. And he probably thinks, what would my grandfather Asher Nasirpal have done? Well, he would have massacred someone. <laughs> yeah. Pillar of heads. That was popular. And this, this line of kings is so ancient. But this has definitely happened before. But because Asur Danimpal is still in the line of kings. So if he becomes the king, the, the line is unbroken. And the Assyrian people, they just love this guy because he takes what he wants. And 27 cities of Assyria join him in this rebellion. Uh, and the great cities of Ashur and Nineveh, they sign up for Asurdanimpal. Hey, you are cool. Let's make you the king. <laughs> but Kala remains loyal to Shalmaneser III, the capital itself. So Asurdanimpal has to make has to make his fa- father change his mind about the succession. But I don't think Shalmaneser is in a state where he can actually change his mind because he is in the capital. Right. He is among Asurdanimpal's enemies, and he might be totally senile at this point. But given the success of Asurdanimpal, then Shamshiraman and Diane Asher has to join up with each other and defend the capital. So they dig into Kala together with the old king right, and try to defend the capital. And the capital is, has never been under attack since it was built. But I think it had pretty impressive walls. And maybe it wouldn't look very good to actually massacre the inhabitants of the Assyrian capital. <laughs> Not if you want to rule them, maybe? No. So <laughs> there might have been religious taboos against this. And of course, in a civil war in an empire, there is no real victory. Because you can't really loot your own people. Right. And you go against the rightful king and to murder his father... Uh, would probably look horrible. So there is a respite. There is a, a time when they are holed up in Kala. Asurdanimpal is running around Assyria and uh, everybody loves him. <laughs> but Dayan Asher Samshinoman has to do something in Kala. And what they need is a good propaganda piece. Ah, uh, here we go. Yes. So they create the Black Obelisk of Assyria. And uh, the obelisk, I, I have received different measures on the obelisk, actually. Really? Okay. Yes, I said three meters at the start because that was a run source. But here I have 197.85 centimeters, so two meters. Hmm. And as I said, there are five different stories. And the story seems to be that the king is subdued. So there are five kings that are subdued by Shalmanes III. Who are they? Do we know? Well, the big one is Jehu of Israel. Uh, okay. King of Israel did pay tribute to Shalmanes III in an earlier episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen to episode 26, the King of the Jews. And this is also the first uh, depiction of a Jewish king of Israel. So it's a, a very important historical piece and a big confirmation of the stories in uh, in the Old Testament that uh, the Old Testament at this point are, is not uh, a fable but <laughs> contains some real historical facts. Uh, so yeah, the other kings are Saul <laughs> of Gilsanu. This is in northwestern Iran. 
and we have mentioned it a few times. Uh, there is an unnamed ruler of Musri, and Musri is a riddle. Because uh, the Assyrians talk of Musri, and some people want it to be Egypt. Mm-hmm. But I don't think a ruler of Egypt ever bowed to Shalmaneser III. Uh, the other alternative is Q, the little kingdom that uh, stood against Shalmaneser III for so long in Turkey. But if Musri is Q, the Egyptians were never at the Battle of Karkar. Because the Battle of Karkar contains Musri for Egypt. And we talked about that in the Battle of Karkar, but um, a lot of historians think that the Egyptians were at the Battle of Karkar. Right. But this is the piece of proof. So if if the uh, obelisk doesn't depict Egyptians, then they were not at the Battle of Karkar. Uh, there is also Marduk Apil Usur of Suhi. That's an Aramean tribe, I think. And Kulparunda of Patin. So those were the five kings. Of course, Jehu is the most interesting of them. There is a giant cuneiform inscription going around the obelisk, and it is the full annals of Shalmaneser III. There is a record of all his 34 military campaigns. Wow. And at his side in these campaigns is men- mentioned Dian Asher many a time. So this obelisk gives the impression that Dian Asher is super important to the success of Shalmaneser III. So thus we can probably think that Dian Asher is the person who ordered the creation of the stone. So basically this was a giant campaign poster to get people to say, oh, wait a minute, we were wrong about wanting this dude. We really want this guy over here. Yeah, and do you do you want to defy this king that has done this <laughs> right. much? And he says that Shamshiraman should be the king. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Right. But I think the undertone is that maybe Diane Usher should be the king. Uh-oh. Well, <laughs> I guess there's a full-on debate? <laughs> <laughs> I doubt there's a debate. <laughs> but we know that in 823 BC, the III dies. Mm-hmm. He's probably weak and old right. when he finally dies. And nobody really cares. We don't know how he died. He could very well have been murdered, and they put him out of his misery. Uh, but he is one of the greatest kings the Assyrian Empire ever had. We we did a tribute music video on the YouTube channel oh, to Shalmaneser right. III. Check that out. Shalmaneser III tribute. Just search YouTube. <laughs> and it will be a long time now before there is a king in Assyria that is as powerful as Shalmaneser III was. But when that king arrives, he will be the number one king the Assyrians ever had. He will be even greater. His army would laugh at the army of Shalmaneser. And his enemies will go so far as they will simply refer to him as the Assyrian. (laughs) 
but that's in 745 BC, and we have a long way to go say, before we, we get of, there. We got a lot of episodes before we hit that. <laughs> but remember Shamshi Rahman, the, the actual crown prince then. He's sealed up in Kala, in yeah. the capital. His father is dead. This field marshal guy runs around and probably controls the capital. So what can the crown prince do? He might even be a prisoner here. Crazy. Is there someone he can turn? Hold what up. would you have done in this situation? Yeah, wait a minute, wait a minute. A while back, Shalmaneser Third, he... Didn't he make a pact set with, uh, with the king? With another king saying, Hey, you know, I'll watch out for you. I just need you to watch out for me if I need to come... Come a calling. Oh, yes, he did. He made an oath to the king yes. of Babylon. There it is, king of Babylon. I knew it and was... he swore to protect his son if he, if there was ever some problem with the son of the king of Babylon becoming right. a new king. And he delivered. He sure he did. He saved Marduk Sakyushumi and made him the king of Babylon. He invaded Babylonia, put the king on the throne, and then retreated, calling the king his brother. So what I think happens here is that Shamshiraman turns to the king of Babylon and the Babylonian army invades Assyria. Okay. And this is uh, this sounds like a really bad idea but Assyria is uh, divided. And of course someone needs to be loyal to to the crown prince to Shamshiraman. And it is very likely that the tribal peoples of Babylonia that uh, cause so much problem, they are probably happy to <coughs> to invade Assyria because they <laughs> all hate the Assyrians. Right. So the Kassites and the Chaldeans are coming along with the Babylonian royal army and they invade uh, Assyria. They smash the rebellion. And this is probably not very good for Diane Asher then because the Babylonian king owes loyalty to the family of Shalmaneser III and not to Diane Asher. Oh, yeah. So what happens here is that this succeeds. Diane Asher disappears, weirdly, from the sources. Is never heard of again. Really? As is Asurdaninpal. So suddenly, both his rivals are gone and Shamshi Rahman is put on the Assyrian throne by the king of Babylon. Wait a minute. Yep. <laughs> okay. So, on the outside of the city, you have uh, Asher Dananpal yep. trying to get in. Inside yep. the city, you have Diane Asher with uh, Sh- Shamshi Rahman. Yes. But, if you look at the obelisk, you don't see a whole lot of, hey, Shamshi Rahman, that dude's a good dude. What you do see is a whole lot of, hey, Diane Asher was kind of over here helping out. Yes, I think the obelisk was done at this point. It was up, it was displayed. And uh, Shamshiraman didn't want to destroy such a beautiful piece of tribute to his father. So right. I think the obelisk survives this. <clears throat> okay. But uh, Astor Danimpal and Diane Asher probably do not survive this. I was about to say, <clears throat> who are your two rivals at this point? Well, your one major rival is your brother. And then you have somebody else who could be... Probably should uh, nip that in the bud while you have a giant army helping you. Yep, I think they are both murdered. Wow. And, of course, this is very controversial to the Assyrian people who uh, love this Asodanimpal character. So Shamshiraman decides that he has to take 
uh, one of these ancient king names, and you see that when when the kings love to be named after ancient Assyrian kings. Okay. And here he takes the name of Shamshi Adad. So Shaman becomes Shamshi Adad the fifth, and he's now on the throne. But there is a Babylonian army there. So Shamshi Adad says, "Okay, guys, we're done. You can go home." <laughs> And the Babylonians says, well, not so fast. <laughs> right. So there are conditions. <clears throat> and Shamshadad V is in no position to refuse these conditions. Right. And it is quite weird here, because when Shalmaneser III did exactly this, he put the rightful heir on the throne of Babylon. He just did it. He had a party, went home and said, you are my brother. Right, exactly. Marduk Sakishumi is the only foreign king ever to be called a brother by the Assyrian <laughs> kings. And still he does this. He forces a treaty on Shamshadad V, which is not equal at all. We have this treaty. And it's, uh, it's very much big brother Babylonia controls little brother Assyria. Wow. And it says ba- Babylon is great, Assyria is uh, not as great. <laughs> and there's also a Babylonian princess that Shamshadad has to marry them. But this was the old way of reinforcing the alliance between Babylon and Assyria. Right. This daughter is called Shamuramat, that we will dedicate a whole episode to her. Really? Yes, because she becomes known as Semiramis, Queen of the Universe. Okay. <laughs> and the legends about this woman just go nuts. <laughs> they go crazy. And the Romans and the Greeks play into this because they will attribute everything that they don't understand to Semiramis, to this little Babylonian princess. <laughs> But uh, enough about that now. We'll talk about that for a whole episode okay, because okay. it's so crazy. <laughs> uh, also, the treaty only has Babylonian gods witnessing it. And uh, it's it's forced upon Shamshadad V. But you know the Assyrians, right? They will never hold a grudge. They will never feel that they were mistreated and claim the revenge later. They will just accept this, right? Oh, sure. That sounds exactly like what Assyrians do. And I'd like to spend a final thought on Asudanimpal, this warrior general prince that was not the crown prince. And I wonder how history would have turned out different if he had actually won this civil war. Because uh, bad things will happen to Assyria now. And we will enter a long period of decline. They will fight it for a while, but then it will just go downhill really fast. And that's what is called the interval Okay. And maybe this guy could have prevented it. Because Shamshi Adad V surely cannot prevent it. <laughs> uh, as I said, the Dian Asher disappeared, but I think he has set a dangerous precedent for the field marshals. Because here was this powerful general right. who was not the royal person, but he still held all this power. And other powerful generals in Assyria will try to emulate this. And one of them will become even more successful than Diane Asher. So what happened to Diane Asher? We don't have no idea. He's just gone. Just gone. But the general that will come very soon 
and will be extremely influential uh, will be, be called Shamshi Ilu. And he is alive at this point, but we have no idea what he's doing now. He will show up uh, with the next king. Okay. He's going to and a general school, learning how to, <laughs> yeah. learning how to be a field marshal. He's, he's maybe a young officer at this time, or maybe he's a child. Ah. But we'll talk more about him. And I, I think Diane Usher had, uh, he could never have won this civil war. So he should probably have supported the crown prince more and made really sure that the crown prince was on the black obelisk. <laughs> and I think that would have been his route to success here. Yeah, so we have to check in. Oh, sorry. Oh, so he seemed to be hedging his bets a lot. Yeah, and that did not work out for him. No. So Shamshadad is the winner. He's the king of Assyria. And he will not have a happy time being the king, but that's for future episodes. I have to mention the Manians at this point. The Manians is a people uh, that rule a small kingdom in the Sagros Mountains, that's in Iran, to the east of the Neo-Syrian Empire. And they are, just to give you an impression why they are important, they have subject peoples, subject tribal peoples. And it is very likely that the Persians and the Medes, at this point, that they are tribute, they pay tribute to the Manian kings. So here are the Persians again. Right. Uh, this is at a place called Lake Urmia. It's a big lake and it forms the border of Urartu and Assyria wants it wants uh, to be at the lake as well. But I'm not sure they are here. The Manians are definitely by Lake Urmia. So this uh, Lake Urmia will be a, a site of many battles. Uh, the Manian king is not very powerful. The state is uh, dominated by powerful nobles. And it's, it's nowhere close to Assyria in power, but it's still an important neighbor to Assyria and one protected by high mountains. And the Assyrians, they could, they can raid into the Sagros Mountains, but they have a bad record of keeping territory in the Sagros. Because these tribal people are very, very hard to keep in check. Yeah. And the Manians will take on a role. Uh, the Urar kingdom of Urartu then, to the north of Assyria, mm -hmm. uh, they are more powerful. They are the second most powerful state. And uh, they will soon be the second most powerful state in the Near East. Now it's probably Babylonia then. <laughs> yeah. Especially after that treaty. Tries... <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> I say especially after that treaty. Yes. <laughs> right now Babylonia is maybe number one even. But that will not last for long. Uh, so Urartu tries to dominate this Manian kingdom. And Assyria also tries. So they, they take on a role similar to Armenia between uh, the Persians and the Romans 900 years later. So the Manias are squeezed between Urartu and Assyria. And it will matter a lot for the Assyrians how well they can handle this fledgling kingdom on their border. <coughs> so that's the story of the Black Obelisk of Assyria and the seven years of the civil war that... The, the Shamshi Adad is sort of ashamed of, I think. Probably because of this treaty. Right. Doesn't look good for Shamshi Adad. Now I'm out on a limb here, but I think the treaty is only preserved by the Babylonians. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so next time, we will have Shamshi Adad being in power. He needs to keep this treaty. And he needs to focus on... Uh, the borders, because now during these seven years, the Syrian territories have 
stopped paying their tribute. Rartu is going more, growing more powerful. Like there, there are threats in every direction. So a really bad move would be to get pissed at Babylon and try to take revenge. Yeah, that w- that wouldn't be good for them. You need to concentrate on your borders right now. So let's let's hope that Shamshadab goes for the control the borders move and not take revenge on Babylonia move. Well, I guess we'll find out next time. Uh, also, we had some uh, refugees that fled Tyre under Dido in episode 29. Right. And we will now check in with them. Where did they go? Hmm. Where do they live now? Did they start something new, perhaps? Yep. Maybe they will find a, they will found a tiny little city in Africa that... Uh, Just a little one. Yeah, little tiny city that will become very important to the Roman Empire. (laughs) (laughs) All right. It will eventually have a guy called Hannibal. What? Well, it all it all starts somewhere, folks. It all starts somewhere. All right. Well, please go to the YouTube, subscribe, like, share. We could really use it. YouTube slash. Is it slash fan of history for YouTube? Or is that... Uh, search for fan of history on search YouTube. Search for fan That's of history, word. yes. Uh, <coughs> I can say something else about the YouTube. Oh, yes, please. Right after I record this, I will record the fourth episode of Timeline of World History. It's a series on YouTube that uh, is written by a British guy called Shane Sowersby. Uh-huh. He goes through world history from the year 200,000 to present day. And the episode I will record today is 9,000 to 8,500 BC. So if you think the Assyrians are too modern, <laughs> we can go back a long time instead. Wow. Also, I'm doing stuff on the uh, Stockholm Massacre or the Bloodbath of Stockholm. This is an, the event that ends the medieval period in Sweden uh, in 1520 AD. And there will be stuff on YouTube about that as well. Oh, very cool. All right. Well, also, you can find this on iTunes. We would love to see some reviews. Oh, yes, please. Yeah, any kind of review. Good, bad, indifferent. Just give us something. We'd love to read it. Also, facebook.com slash fan of... Twitter is at thefanofhistory. Also, you can check out the website, thefanofhistory.wordpress.com. And if you enjoy these episodes, you can really help us out by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash fanofhistory. We're trying to hit $30 on the Patreon, uh, because if we do, we can continue this narrative past 701 BC. Uh, So we want to do the whole 7th century BC, and that's a very exciting uh, century. The major event is the the total destruction of the Neo-Syrian Empire in 612 BC, and I would love to cover that. But we need your help. Yeah, we. Uh, it it really helps us out. Um, it's not like we're, you know, breaking the bank here, but we're. Uh, we could really use it. Anything. Also, it's very encouraging to see that you guys appreciate what we do. Yeah, we. You will get to see the Neo Babylonian Empire as well, and the yeah. Medes and stuff. Cool and the Scythians. <laughs> we got to go to the seventh century people. You can make it happen. I know you can. I have faith. All right. Well, for this week, I am Brennan. I'm Dan, the crazy Swede. <laughs> and this has been the Fan of History. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time.